Nahum is the sequel to Jonah or Jonah is the prequel to Nahum, however you slice it, these two little books go together. You see, about 100 to 150 years before the book of Nahum was written, Jonah, after being swallowed by a great fish and was spit up onto the beach, went to Nineveh to preach repentance. And the Bible tells us in the book of Jonah that everybody in the city of Nineveh, from the king to the pauper on the street, repented of their sin and God spared the city of Nineveh. That's familiar to us. What might not be as familiar is the final chapter of the book of Jonah, which gives us a little insight into Jonah's attitude concerning God's sparing of the city of Nineveh. Jonah was upset that God spared the city. Jonah was complaining to God saying something like, I knew you'd forgive them. I knew you'd spare them. And Jonah was upset over that. But God did indeed spare the city of Nineveh because of his mercy, because of his grace, because of his loving kindness toward a Gentile city and toward a Gentile nation. The nation and empire of Assyria and the city of Nineveh. God was gracious unto them. And Jonah knew it, and it upset Jonah. And there's a good reason why it upset Jonah. Jonah was really upset with the city of Nineveh and with the nation or empire of Assyria for good reason. And in our text tonight, we're going to find out why Jonah was so upset. We're going to find out why he was so upset, and we're going to see the correlation between the city of Nineveh and our own nation, and we might find some similarities between ourselves and Jonah when we see those similarities. We may be upset like he was, that God hasn't rained down judgment yet upon our nation, and upon North America. That day's coming, but not yet, and I'm grateful, because there's many more to be saved. So Nahum chapter three, let's start at verse one, and I'll, I'll, I'll take a few minutes, and I won't keep you late, I promise. If we have to break this up into two parts, we will. But let's go down through this chapter, and let's get a sense of what's going on, and let's Let's see if we can get some clues as to why Jonah, 150 years before this, was so upset that God spared the city of Nineveh. And now 100 to 150 years later, they went right back to their old ways. And they're just as wicked, if not more wicked, than before. So chapter 3, verse 1, of Nahum, he writes, Woe to the bloody city. The city of Nineveh, the capital city of the empire of Assyria. 
was known as a merciless city and empire. They were known throughout the world for their merciless cruelty, for their cruel and unusual acts of war. And here Nahum pronounces woe, destruction, and damnation upon this bloody city, this violent city. Nahum says, this city is full of lies. The city of Nahum, the empire, or sorry, the city of Nineveh, the empire of Assyria was known for its deceitful diplomacy. Its kings and diplomats were deceitful to no end. And they were thieves. They were robbers. Nahum says, The city of Nineveh is full of lies and full of robbery. The nation of Assyria had an insatiable appetite, an insatiable lust for more. You see any similarities yet? Violence, deceit, lust. Look at what else it says. Woe to the bloody city, its victims or sorry, its victim never departs. Assyria was known to move from one victim to another. Verse two, the noise of a whip and the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots. Horsemen charge with bright sword and glittering spear. This is the woe that is coming upon this evil city and this evil empire. It's coming with rattling wheels, galloping horses, clattering chariots. It's coming with horsemen who are brandishing bright swords and glittering spears. There is a multitude slain in the bloody city. A great number of bodies, countless corpses. The judgment, the woe, the destruction that's coming, they'll stumble over the corpses in Nineveh. This is in the Bible. Nahum says to this evil, bloody city, when the destruction comes, the army that's coming is going to be tripping over the corpses. They're going to lay you to waste. Number four, because of the multitude of your harlotries, Of the seductive harlot, Nineveh is likened here to a desirable prostitute. The whole world wanted to cozy up to the Assyrian Empire. They were the most powerful empire in the world at that time, and they were known for their merciless cruelty. You didn't want to get on their bad side, and so the world wanted to be on Assyria's good side Even Israel wanted to be on Assyria's good side. The 10 tribes in the north, known as the kingdom of Israel, cozied up with Assyria. And because of that, they were carried off into uh, captivity. A few years before this, and now Judah... The two tribes in the southern kingdom of the nation of Israel, they're falling for the harlot too. 
They're following in Israel's footsteps, the, the northern kingdom's footsteps. They're being seduced by Assyria. They're worshiping the gods of Assyria. They're, they're, they're worshiping the king of Assyria. They're, they're practicing witchcraft and idolatry to cozy up to an evil empire, God's people, neglecting God and turning to the gods of this world. Seeing any similarities? Because of the multitude of harlotries, the seductive harlot Nineveh will be destroyed. The mistress of sorceries who sells nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries. We prayed for families tonight in marriages. We heard this morning from Pastor Trina about how there is an assault on marriage and biblical marriage going on in our culture today. You see, if we give in to the, to the seductive harlot of our culture, it will destroy our nation because it will destroy our families, which is the foundation of our civilization. As goes the family, so goes the culture. Satan's attacking the family. And here, Nahum is telling Nineveh that because of your sorceries, your families are gonna fall apart. The witchcraft and occultic practices of Nineveh were happening out in the open and they seduced the other nations to do the same. Even Israel... Assyria was worshiping false gods. And it seemed like they were prospering because of it. Pagan worship and witchcraft and child sacrifice were taking place in this evil empire. And it seemed like the more they practiced those things, the better off they were. And it was tempting for Israel they saw what was going on in the, in the evil empire of Assyria and they wanted the blessings that came or so they appeared to be from this idolatry and witchcraft. And so they began to practice it as well. They began to practice it in the very temple of God. They'd offer a sacrifice to God and they'd offer a sacrifice to some idol They'd go to their homes and burn incense and light fires to other gods. They didn't keep the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse five, behold, I am against you, Nineveh, Assyria, the evil empire. I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. Look at what God says to the evil empire through the prophet Nahum. He says, I will lift up your skirts over your face. Now, Assyria was a Middle Eastern empire, and it's uh, believed that they had Middle Eastern dress standards for their women, where they had to be covered. And here God says to this nation, 
Uh, I am going to humiliate you. I am going to uncover you. I'm going to expose you. I'm going to lift your skirt up over your head and expose you to the nations around you. They're going to see you for what you really are. I saw an example of this at Ava's uh, rugby tournament this uh, weekend. There was a couple of girls that were playing on the team. They must have been uh, Muslim and um, their dad was on the sideline and he was making sure that his girls' uh, shirts weren't coming untucked and that they weren't being exposed. And uh, I, I saw him or, and heard him call out to one of his girls, uh, tuck in your shirt. And, and she uh, had to show him that she actually had like a full body suit on under her uh, jersey uh, and her shorts. And he was just very concerned for... Um, you know, the, the modesty of his daughters out on this field. And, and, and so I, I saw that and I thought, man, this is a huge deal for Assyria, for God to say this to them, that he's going to expose them, that, that what they think is being kept for uh, a, you know, a private place and is being kept to themselves is actually going to be exposed. God says here, going on in verse five, that I will show the nations your nakedness. They're going to see your shame. The kingdoms of this world are going to see your shameful parts. Uh, this nation, this empire of Assyria was a proud nation. But the threat of public humiliation was very serious for them. If you read through the book of uh, Jonah, Jonah's message is very simple, at least what's recorded in the book. But I wonder what else he said that made them repent, uh, that made them take God's admonishment so seriously. I wonder if it was something like what they heard here now through Nahum that the Lord was going to expose them and that the surrounding nations would see their shame. What we have learned so far in these first five verses is that God opposes wickedness. Not only does God oppose wickedness, he exposes wickedness. God both opposes and exposes wickedness. And we can have confidence and assurance in that tonight. That even though we see, or we need to know that if we're seeing uh, wickedness all around us, that God is also seeing wickedness around us. Uh, it is not hidden from God. He is not ignorant of it. He is not unaware. God opposes wickedness and he exposes wickedness. The avenging action of God is justified against this wicked city of Nineveh, this violent city, this deceitful city, uh, this uh, lustful city, uh, this city that is likened to a desirable prostitute that practices witchcraft and occult, God's avenging action against that city and against that empire is justified. An individual and a nation always reaps what they sow. Sometimes it looks like evil people are going to get away with it. 
But I want to remind you tonight, based on what we're reading here in the book, they won't. Evil people won't get away with it. God always avenges evil. He opposes it and he exposes it. I'm so grateful that though I was an enemy of God, far off from him through the blood of Jesus Christ, he has brought me near. He has made me brand new. I'm born again and now I'm filled with his spirit from my inmost being flows rivers of living water. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. I do not need to fear the wrath of God that is coming against this nation and against wicked people for I am not of their number. I used to be, I deserve to be, but thanks be to God, he has rescued me and he's rescued you too. And so we don't have to fear this opposition from God. We don't have to fear this exposition from God that he's going to expose us. Our sin's already been judged. It was hung on a cross. Our sin's already been forgiven. We're clean and close. Verse six, I will cast abominable filth upon you. I will make you vile. I will desecrate you. I will make you a laughingstock, a spectacle. God says to the wicked city, the evil empire. When you read Old Testament prophecy, don't, as a believer, put yourself in the shoes of either Israel or Judah or Nineveh or some other city that, or nation that's mentioned. That's not you anymore. Satan loves to trick us and deceive us and get us thinking that God's gonna cut us down. Listen, if he has redeemed us, he has sealed us and seated us, we are the object of his affection. But God is coming for an evil people one day and evil nations, and he will make them a spectacle he will pour out his wrath upon them. God was going to bring Assyria down and he was going to embarrass her in the process. And here, you know, let's go to verse 10. Let's, let's read through to verse 10 and then I think we'll pick up next week from verse 11 to 18. Here God is describing how he's going to, to bring down Nineveh, the wicked city, and the evil empire. He's going to remind them of their past and a specific event that took place in their past. And he's, going to, he's, he's telling them that if they were able to do what he reminds them of, then God is going to be able to do even greater. So let's read it. Verse seven, it shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. But who will bemoan you, God asks. Where shall I seek comforters for you? Assyria is hated and dreaded by the other nations. And God says, when he 
brings them down, when he casts abominable filth upon them, when he makes them vile, when he makes them a spectacle, the nations surrounding them will celebrate. Nobody will mourn over the destruction of the nation, over the empire of Assyria. It'll be like a funeral with no one in attendance because everybody's waiting at the cemetery to spit on the grave. No one will bemoan Nineveh. No one will bemoan Assyria. Now in verse eight, he asked them a question. Are you better than no Ammon that was situated by the river? that had the waters all around her, whose rampart was the sea, whose wall was the sea. No, Ammon, or Thebes, was the capital city of Upper Egypt. It had been destroyed by Sargon of Assyria years before. And it should have been an example to Assyria. If such a city, the city of No Ammon, could be destroyed with Uh, a rampart or with the sea as a rampart and a wall around it. If that city could be destroyed, that city that was thought to be impenetrable, impervious to attack because of the way it was situated, if that city could fall at the hands of Assyria, then it should have been an example to Assyria that no city, no nation is invincible. But they were a proud people. They were a proud nation. And that pride was their downfall. Verse nine, Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength. No Ammon had allies It had the nation of Ethiopia and lower Egypt as allies surrounding nations that if somebody came against Noamon, Ethiopia and Egypt would rise up and join forces with them to fight off any enemy. But when Assyria came in, they couldn't fight her off. Not even when they called for backup from the nations of Put and Lubim. Thebes had been protected by these buffer states, Ethiopia and Egypt, and by a desert on both sides, and they were surrounded by sea. No Ammon thought that she could never fail. Who could get to her? The Assyrians got to her. And now the Assyrians were going to face the same fate at the hand of of God, the God who actually gave the Assyrians the victory. You see, nobody rules on this earth, but God puts them in place and allows them to rule. And God allowed the Assyrian empire to rise up to punish the 10 tribes to the north for their idolatry and wickedness. God gave them their strength. And God called them to repentance and they repented for a while. But they turned from God back to their idols. And God was not going to let that wickedness off the hook. He was not going to let them off the hook. The Assyrians were going to face the same fate 
at the hand of God makes me wonder if our nation is going to face a similar fate one day. We were a nation founded on godly principles. Our charter of rights and freedoms says in its preamble that these rights and freedoms are based on the supremacy of God. But we've forgotten God. We don't view that as anything to be held on to in our nation. I asked my girl's principal, where do human rights come from? And she told me the government gives us human rights. How deceived. They don't even read the preamble to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms that says this comes from God. God is supreme. He gives humans their rights. It's, it's amazing how a nation can forget God. Nineveh and Assyria forgot God. They forgot that God rose them up to prominence for his purposes. They forgot that God spared them from sure destruction when they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And they turned away from that God. They turned to their false gods and they tricked God's people into doing the same. And God wasn't gonna let them get away with it. Verse 10, but she, Noamon, that impenetrable city, she was carried away, God said, she went into captivity. Her young children were dashed to pieces at the head of every street and they cast lots for her honorable men and all her great men were bound in chains. We heard through Ron tonight as he spoke out in listening prayer that there's nothing new under the sun. God is not, or Satan is not creative, God is. Satan just repeats what he did before and uh, nations have been deceived by Satan all throughout human history. Noamon was deceived, Assyria was deceived, Babylon was deceived, Israel was deceived, Canada deceived, America deceived. It repeats and rhymes over and over and over again. And we, the church, we are our nation's best defense against impending destruction. And I believe that we're still here today as a nation because the church is still here. And unless this is the last time that God gives us over to a debased mind, because he's been doing that for a long time too. Unless this is the last time he gives us over, he's going to bring it back around again. He's going to restore a remnant of people. He's going to redeem those who will repent, who will humble themselves, and who will call on the name of the Lord. And so next week, we're going to pick up where we left off. We're going to pick up at verse 11, and I'll give you a little foretaste. 
We're going to read about the, the destruction of Nineveh and how God is going to completely wipe it out. There's not going to be anything left to the city or the empire, but there's going to be one thing left, and it's going to be the ethnic people of Assyria. They're not all going to be destroyed. There's going to be a few left over, and those people are going to multiply, and they're going to stay in that area. And about 600 years later, 630 years later, they're going to hear about a, a, a man from Nazareth who's healing people and casting out demons and making the blind to see and the lame to walk. And they're going to bring all their sick to Jesus. He's going to heal them. But that's for next time. That's for next time.